This is Raw Cut. Welcome to Life Bursts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. And today, a journey of transformation. Stay tuned. Yes, welcome to Life Burst. Thanks for being here with us today. Uh, I am Sarah. And I'm Matt. And in the studio, we have Sam. How are you, Sam? I'm great. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. Great that you could join us. So, Sam, we are really interested in hearing your story and your life. Uh, Take us right back. Where'd life start out for you? Uh, Started out in the womb, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Well, my parents are both Lebanese migrants, Mm -hmm. so they met here. I was born in Sydney. And they were running a very busy restaurant, and I was uh, about two months old in my what I call my first cell, because uh, there was many after that. But my first cell was a little playpen in the back. Right. And my grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, they lived in Adelaide. My uncle flew them all over, um, and she thought that wasn't a great place to be for a little kid. So she came over and brought me to Adelaide and raised me, her and my grandfather, for uh, nine months. Right. Um, and, yeah, it was very hard for my mother to, you know, before the before the Skype days and the video chat. So it was very hard for her. Um, but looking back, you know, it's what my grandmother thought was going to be best for me. And that actually had a big, big impact on, on my life later on. Right. Yeah, so it was pretty crazy. And I had a little brother. Uh, we grew up in Athelston. Went to a public primary school, uh, always a good student, like I really liked learning. My dad pushed us to, to be great students and respectful, etc. But I was also the class clown, so I loved uh, getting a laugh. I loved the centre of attention, and uh, that caused me to go on a bit of a journey from uh, early teens and just sort of, you know, hung around with three different groups in school. Um, the, the cool kids, you know, inverted commas, because... You know, what is really cool. They thought they were cool. People thought they were cool. Yeah. I look back now I thought, what was actually cool about them? Mm-hmm. Um, where, I, you know, I used to get run a bit of a mark with. So were your, was your brother also a class clown? No. My brother was uh, is the opposite to me, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, he's more of a, he would call himself a realist. Uh, he's more of a pessimist. I'm more of an optimist. He's more of a, you know, get to know you, then we'll open up type of guy. Well, I'm just open from the very beginning. And that has its positive and negatives as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he used to hate it, but uh, I was great with teachers, even though I like, you know, mainly I got in trouble for talking too much. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else that I didn't really get in trouble for, I was a bit smarter than people that were getting in trouble, like bludging school, you know, smoking on the oval. I never got busted for any of that, except for bludging later on. But my brother wasn't great with the teachers, so they said to him, why can't you be more like your brother? Right. And he used to hate it. Must have made you feel good. <laughs> that made you feel great. <laughs> Rub it in. He'll tell me, oh, another teacher said this, and I'll just laugh. Uh. But, you know, that's how I always thought my mindset and my attitude was, you know, that teacher's going to help you get the best grades. Why am I going to go out of my way to be rude and disrespectful? You know, people call it teacher's pet, whatever they want to call it. At the end of the day, you know, uh, I'm going to put in the effort and the attitude to help them help me. So that's what my mentality was always. Uh, and then I used to hang around the sporty kids because I love playing soccer in particular. And then I used to always hang around the studious or the geeky kids because I knew they were the ones getting the good grades. And so I had this like almost a multi, multi-personality multi life type of just friends with all 
you know, helped everyone out. And, uh, yeah, by the way, I was only like five foot tall in year eight. Curly Afro, chubby, one of the only Lebanese kids at school. So uh, it was like a – and I love dancing. Um, right. So that's how I built my name at, at high school. I got up in front of the assembly at on day one because I was the only one that went to that school out of all my friends from primary school. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the zone for their high school. Okay. And so I remember saying, you know, who do you want to be, man? You know, at the time they called me Sammy G because they couldn't pronounce my last name. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, yeah, they had a band, so I just got up. Six, seven hundred students. I was a little year eight. I just got up and started dancing. And all these girls, you know, rushed out and started dancing with me. So then I got popular with the girls and um, a little unpopular with some of the boys because they were just, you know, a bit jealous, I think. But Okay. So that's where it started. And right from the outset, you made your, your mark. Yeah. Like, this is who I am. Yeah. In, in high school. Yeah. yeah. Nobody messed with me. This is it. Yeah. So, I mean, there were, you know, a small group of bullies, you know, that, you know, used to go out of their way and, you know, but uh, now looking back and I, I, you know, talk to kids now about it, it's like, you know, they, it was their stuff, you know, it wasn't my stuff, it was their mm, stuff mm, looking back, you know. Mm, that's right. And so you're friends with most people, you know, didn't really have enemies. Um, and then, But just impressing the wrong people led me down this, this path. And, uh, you know, f- um, f- yeah, did well at high school. Uh, I was sort of dropping my, my grades in year 11, year 12, because I was like A's and B's, and then I got caught up in, you know, girlfriends and blah, 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 and sort of started dropping, and then teachers, because I built good relationships with the teachers, they sort of pulled me up and said, Sam, look, you're going to fail, and we know you don't want to, like, pull your head in. So I went to work, man, and, um, yeah, finished. I finished my uh, year 12, got into a uni degree in tourism, and then started partying. And uh, I think you have a photo... Um, of the early days. There we go. Yeah, so that uh, is me four months in to actually a year into my degree, but four months into partying, and I mean like, um, you know, the, the drug scene, the party drug scene is where it was at, and uh, I used to stay up, you know, for days because I love music, I love dancing, I love people, so it just sort of, Came hand in hand with that, and I lost 33 kilos in about four months, and it wasn't on Jenny Craig, mm. you know. It was uh, it was pretty crazy. So actually. you kind of like you took the whole uni partying thing to just this next level. Yeah. This massive, crazy level. Yeah. What did your family think? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> Um, Tell us more. <laughs> well, funny enough, actually, I'll go back to the family. So my dad was a Muslim okay. and my mum was a Christian, but they didn't practice the religion as such in the home. So we had the best of both worlds. We had Easter and Christmas and we had Ramadan and the Eids of, of the Islamic religion. Okay. And probably in our teens, you know, we started to identify more with Islam because my cousins were more Muslim than my other cousins were Christian, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. And but what I call it, I called it the no pork Muslim. So it was like we would party, we would drink, we would do this, but we wouldn't eat pork. And so that kept us Muslim. Mm. And there was this whole generation of us, like in Australia and Western worlds, like you know. Um, and when I, I got into uni and uh, you know started partying, I did everything pretty like I was always all in or nothing. And so you're like, I just took it to another level. 
I mean, even when I was smoking weed through high school, I would still go and study very hard and hand in my work, and people would be like, yeah, because I always, I never was one of those guys who just veg out like a lot of my mates were. Like, I was like, nah, man, i got to either, pardon me, play sports, be creative, do reading, anything, just get my mind. So I took that into uni as well. So why did you smoke weed or whatever if you were still focusing on other things? Like, yeah, why did you do that? Very good question. I, I listened to a lot of rap music, okay. right? So mm-hmm. there was this part of it that was like cool and a bit gangster and I, and I used to rap, you know, I used to write lyrics and rap and it just was a part of that, you know, but I, but I knew that that's not what my life was going to be, you know, even as a young kid. Like I knew this is not who I wanted to be. It was just something I did, mm-hmm. you know, and then that led into alcohol in my later teens and um, I remember my dad at my formal, you know, we are going out to the formal all dressed up. I had a white suit. Everyone else was in black suits. And uh, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Class clown. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my dad said, oh, you can have a few beers tonight. I said, Dad, I, I don't drink beer. And he looked at me really shocked, like, what do you mean? What do you drink? Like, he didn't even know, right? Because he turned the blind eye a lot, my dad. Uh, and I said, I drink scotch. And my dad's not a drinker. You know, I had other parts of my family that were, but my dad wasn't. So he was very shocked. So, yeah. And coming back to the, you know, the 30 kilos in such a short time, people were a bit shocked. And because, like, you look, when i in that photo, mm. I, I look sick. Mm. But at the time, I just thought I looked good. People that didn't knew, know me thought I just looked good. Like, I was, you know, um, I had to say it without being rude, but basically I was, I was popular with the ladies back then. Uh, I danced a lot. I, you know, I had this chiseled jaw, which I never had in my life. I was always a chubby, round head kid. And so my parents were a bit worried. But because I was going to uni and I was working, I was doing all the right things, I sort of hit it, living this double life, you know? Well, that's a great place to take a break. Uh, We're going to come back and hear more of Sam's story right after this. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. Welcome back to Life Burst. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Uh, Sam is uh, telling us his story growing up uh, mm. as the uh, well, the life of the party. And that continued into uni, uh, although you were conscious, as we've seen, that uh, it was taking its toll in some ways. So where did life take you from there, Sam? Yeah, it was taking its toll. Uh, I, uh, I remember partying. And when we used to party, we used to party for days, right? Like it, didn't, it wasn't just you go out on a night and you come home. You know, we had hotel rooms and we had all these people chip in for a weekly rental, so it's called a pad. So we'd literally mm. go, we'd go the next day, the next day. And then I remember one time I was at a hotel room for a few weeks uh, and different people were there. Um, and uh, I remember packing my bag. It was Monday morning. It was like 9 o'clock. I'd already been up two or three days. And the guys that were there obviously uh, were a bit of the heavy nature Let's just say that. Uh, and they're looking at me like, what are you doing, mate? I said, I'm going to uni. And I'll never forget their face. Their face was looking at me like, you've just been partying with us for three days, doing all sorts of, you know, uh, drugs, and now you're going to uni? And I remember looking at them, I'm like, yeah, bro, this, this ain't my life, man. This is just a part of it. Like, this is, you know, because they obviously had chosen this life. Mm-hmm. You know, they were older guys, mm-hmm. and that's the life they had chosen. Okay, no judgment. 
that's not the life I chose. So I knew it was going to be a part of my life. And probably three or four years into that, um, I, um, yeah, we got in a big rumble in, uh, in Rundle Mall, so a big fight. Um, it was in the newspapers. Um, yeah, a group had jumped me and my cousins and, and my brother. There was five of us against 20, and it was full on. And then newspapers, and then we sought revenge, and it got pretty bad. And I thought, all right, I better just get out of here. I'm getting in trouble. So I moved with my best friend to Melbourne, got our life a bit straight, started working, you know, and then I – uh, he moved back to Adelaide, so I moved to Queensland with my mum's twin sister, my auntie and her family, and I put that weight back on within three months. She just fed me like my mum did, mate, you know, and I worked hard. My uncle uh, basically did an apprenticeship for painting, you know, in five months. He he heard it injured his foot, so I had to do all his jobs, and so I did like a four-year apprenticeship in five months of painting. So I got my life back on track, came back to Adelaide, you know, started to press into the faith a bit more praying, didn't drink alcohol, and I'll do this regularly, um, and then I'd fall back into the, you know, it would it actually usually would start with weed or or drinks. I, I, just gonna, I wanted to ask yeah. why you keep going. So you did, like, pretty hard drugs. Why did you keep going? I'm presuming you did, like, ecstasy and all yes. those types of ones. Yes. You know, people say that it's really bad. I haven't done it before, yes. so I have no idea. Um, yeah. You know, it says it's bad. It is. And you, you did it once and then you just kept going back yeah. again. So yeah. obviously you didn't experience any type of negative effects of it besides obviously the weight loss. But did you experience any negative stuff and why did you keep going? Mate, you experience negative stuff every time. Okay. What goes up must come down. And so it's like it's like a hangover but times five to ten. And it's like that time, like there would be times where you'd be, you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten so drunk, maybe you haven't, where you're just, you know, throwing up and you're like, God, please, I'll never do this again, man. Oh, oh, just help me out of this, right? And then what happens the next week? You're back on it. And so that's what happened. And that's how it captures you. And so you go out and it's friends, you're like, oh, yeah, boom. And, and you back in those days, it was like a five, six-hour high of one pill Mm -hmm. and then you have to deal with the two or three days where you can't eat your stomach's cramping and then you do it again and do it again and what happens then it starts to leak into your week because you go i don't want to come down much anymore so i I start earlier then it'll be the thursday or then wednesday all of a sudden it's wednesday to sunday and you're like oh my gosh so, so when you felt yourself coming off of this high, you would then have to take another pill. Yeah, that or you, you go and smoke some high. weed, or then you go and drink. You know, you're okay. just always seeking something, so you're not then. Mm. You know, were you trying to numb something? Like, did something happen, and you oh. were trying to numb it? It's funny that you say that. Okay. I, I, I never knew. Uh, what, oh well, yeah. So let's go back a little bit. So, okay. going back to when my grandmother. Um, brought me from my mother. Mm-hmm. Years later, I went to psychologist and I went to some drug rehab stuff to get off some some um, amphetamines and stuff because it got actually worse. Yeah. It wasn't just partying anymore. It was like at home. It was chilling with my mates. Then we wouldn't even go out. So it was social to begin with, then becomes together, and then it becomes almost antisocial. Like mm-hmm. it takes your life almost. Mm-hmm. But um, we um, 
I went through the psychologist and the psychologist, you know, started to unpack stuff. And then we realized that there was a sense of abandonment when I was two months old. And I've, I've spoken to my mother about this. Love you, mum. She cried about this when she heard my testimony because she was like, oh, my gosh, that's my fault. It's not. They were doing the best they could with what they knew. Mm. But my grandmother taking me from my mum as a two-month-old, I'm like, where's my mum? So there's this and, – and funny enough, drugs and alcohol is always a mask for pain. Mm. there's always trauma. Even if people go, nah, my life's fine, there is always something we're masking. Otherwise, why would we be escaping life? Because that's what it is. Mm. You know, if you have a couple drinks with friends and you're just cool, no worries. But when you're excessive, there's always something there. And that's what that was for me. That's what that was. So we didn't recognize that till, you know, six, seven years ago, maybe 10. Maybe 10 years ago we Mm. only recognized that. So, yeah, it was a long journey. Yeah, it's a long journey. It uh, does. It highlights the uh, the impact that even small things can have on uh, bringing trauma to to anyone, even at such a young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're uh, at the point of uh, keeping going back to this uh, yeah. as you're up to in your story, um, but a part of you is also still compartmentalizing, saying this is only a part of my life. Yeah. So how did how did you uh, continue to go through that cycle, or, or what got you out of it? What was next? Yeah. Um, so it was like that for a while and I, I had like, you know, between the age of year 12 to, uh, five years ago, I had 23 different jobs I counted. Wow. Yeah. And that wasn't like, I only got fired from maybe four. How long have you been out of high school just for people who are Oh, sorry. I'm 40 now. Okay. So turned 40 this year. So, uh, what are we talking? 1998. I graduated, so 22 years, yeah. Uh, so 23 jobs in 22 years and different industries, you know, from painting to labouring to sales and hospitality and different things in sales. And I really felt like I loved what I did in sales because I got to train people, talk to people, you know, and commission and made this money. But then I'll go back to this life and it'll be boom, boom, boom. And I finished my degree. It probably took me an extra two years. I took a year off and then... You know, took a couple of subjects. So it probably ended up around 2004 uh, when I finished the degree. And then I went traveling in 05 and I, I got this great job with a friend of mine doing um, uh, sales and marketing for a record label. It was right in my alley, like rap rappers and, you know, it was great. But then it got me back into that. Yeah, so let's say back into yeah, the party scene. Yeah, back into thing. that party scene. Yeah. You know, the drugs, the alcohol. Mm. And then my missus, who was with me that whole time, who was also a Christian, and funny, she said something to me back in the early, so we used to be like 20 Lebos, all this no-pork Muslims. And she would be with me from the, you know, probably 2002, 2003 era, and she'd be one girl with all these guys. And she said to me, you know, Sam, you're not really a Muslim. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I see you more like like a youth pastor like a youth leader, Christian youth leader. No, I was like, the only thing we knew of Christian youth leaders back in there was Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, <laughs> right? And you look back and you think they always gave him a bad rap, this yeah. like real geeky like. And so I was like, what are you talking about? Like that was like a, almost like a, I don't know what's the word. Insult. An insult, <laughs> you know? Anyway, but what I didn't tell you was my grandmother, when I was two months old, against my father's will, my father never knew, she was taking me to church every Sunday. For like six months. And so she planted this seed way back when, and I had no idea. And, uh, yeah, so 
back and forth, back and forth. Then my wife got pregnant. Um, well, my partner at the time got pregnant. She's my wife now. And I was like, oh, man, all right. I have to change my life. I've got kids now, like, you know, and I just thought it would change, right? And so I stopped and I started praying and came Hang back on. in. We'll pause the story there. Perfect time. Perfect, Perfect time. timing uh, because, uh, yeah, I figured there's there's more. Uh, so we'll come back and uh, hear the results of Sam's uh, desperate praying right after this here on Life Burst. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. This is Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. We're chatting with Sam and uh, you've just mentioned a wife and children and stuff. So I have to ask the question that I ask everybody who brings this topic up is how did you meet your now wife? Uh, uh, we met in the club, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love dancing and I was well known in Adelaide uh, in that scene. And a friend of hers I knew um, and I saw her with her. She tells it a little differently to me, but, you <laughs> okay. know. Mm-hmm. She reckons I went up to her and I was, like, real, like, and she was just thinking, who is this guy? Because I must have been, like, you know, probably off my head, thought I was, like, I don't know. The best just, thing in the world. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but respectfully, you know, I was like, hey, you know, and she was just like, whatever. And then a few months later I saw them again and I brought over, like, a tray of drinks and, you know, and then we started talking and then we started dancing and then, yeah, that was um, – I think uh, 2002, 2003. So I was young. I think I was like 21. She was like 17. And we just built friendship over Why that. Why was she in a club if she was 17? Ooh. Um, <laughs> hey, it's, it's not, it's, that's not for me. You've got to interview her. Back in the day when uh, it was easy to get fake ID, you know, you used to rub. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. A whole other topic. And, um, and then, yeah, so she was going through some of her own stuff, hard stuff. Her parents had, had separated, um, not nicely either. So she was living with her friends at the time. And then we sort of reconnected with her dad and um, she started seeing him again and then started living with him. And then we went, you know, back and forth. Then we moved in together in, I think, 05. Um, and then, yeah, and then we had our first daughter, our first child in 07. And... Um, I remember I was doing martial arts then. I went to Indonesia for a martial arts tournament um, and uh, I was trying to get healthy and fit and, again, praying, you know, I learned trying to help me and then I'd come back and, you know, fall again. And I remember the one night she was upstairs with the baby and I had friends over and we were, like, getting loose, man. And I remember she called me up and I was really annoyed about it. Like, oh, just let me party. And then I went up and she's with the baby, like, looking at me like, what are you doing? And I just remember going, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? And so then there was this cycle again, and this cycle again. But the problem was um, the, the the worst drug actually came in around then. So this was no longer a party drug. This was a substance that we'd used for ages, but now it changed form, and so now it was being smoked instead of just taken orally. And that, that then actually got me my, you know, and I'd be up and down, I'd, you know, trying to save for a house and then, you know, spent the deposit, you know, uh, then I'd get a really good job and work really well, but then I'd get bored and leave. But I'd do really well at the job, you know, helping the unemployed. So that's right. I started questioning, you know, my purpose. What am I doing? Just going sales and painting. I do painting work. So I really want to help people. How do I take my skills and, and turn it into my purpose? I'm going to work with the unemployed, you know, as I'm great with people. I'm good at sales. 
And I remember in the interview, it was great, interviewed really well, and then I'm chasing the guy up because they wanted somebody who already knew the market, who already knew the game, wasn't new. But I was just determined to get that job. And I said, mate, I'll show you I'm the best. And then he gave me a chance and I just, you know, smashed my KPIs and did great things, but was doing that at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then it started flowing into my work week. You know, I remember the first time I did it on a Tuesday day. Whereas a few years before that, a friend of mine, we jumped in the car and we thought we're just going to go have some weed. You know, it was during the day. It was like, a, I don't know, a weekday morning. Like it wasn't even afternoon. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, bro, what's going on? He's like, oh, hey, let's go for a smoke. I said, yeah, killer. Jumped in the car and he pulled out the other utensil. And I was like, what the heck? I'm not doing that. You know, so I hated it in the beginning. And then again, just one little, and then it was like, and mm-hmm. like I do everything, I go and get to have for free i hate paying for things like that so i would get and you know give and have for free essentially mm-hmm. and uh then i had my second son we actually moved to queensland and ran a sales company in queensland my cousin my brother and i and we we're making really good money it was great but just long hours my wife was by herself with the child then she got pregnant again said she wanted to move back to adelaide i tried to make it work long distance it wasn't really working so we moved back to adelaide and there was just this up and down, up and down. Like she just, a miracle. God sent me an angel, mate. She just stayed strong and it was hurting her and she kept, you know, trying to take me places to help me. And then um, and then I sort of probably hit rock bottom around uh, 2011, 2012. Uh, my parents had just divorced as well. And so I went real like downhill um, and... Uh, yeah, just wasn't doing great mentally uh, and wasn't really, like before I was very um, functional, mm-hmm. right? You wouldn't have been able to tell. Like people that know the game, they could probably tell, but everyone, everybody else, that's just Sam because the personality is high up anyway, but they wouldn't see the crashes and the lows and the sleeping in till 3 o'clock in the afternoon and lazy and lethargic and can't be bothered and, you know, short switch and, Short fuse and so there would just be this cycle and then I'd go good for two, three, four months and then come back. And then you know, and my wife could tell just by looking at me, you've done it again. And I'm like, no, no, and then I'd lie. The lying is what hurt the most, I think. Mm. You know, lying to the person you love because you're so uh what's the word? Just like you just feel so bad that you've broken their trust and you've done it again. And you're like, Oh, this is the last time and she must have heard that a hundred times, you know. And then um, she, I hooked up a really great job um, with Commonwealth Bank, um, traveling the world, uh, traveling the world, traveling Australia, teaching kids about money. And the funny thing was, I wasn't great with money. And my mates would say, "How are you going to teach them about money?" And I said, "Mate, I'm the best person to teach them because I've done everything wrong with money. And now here's a great little script to teach them how to do the right things. And now, as a part of that, you got to walk the talk." So if I'm teaching you how to do this and this, I've got to start doing it. So I started doing that, started getting my life back on track. Actually, before that, I started working in the gym and uh, as a sales consultant. And that started to help me because I started training. And it was the first time I'd been really consistent eating, training, right, right. And then hired somebody and they were in from that old life as well. And just one key word and it was like, back again Mm, mm. and unfortunately I lost that job uh, because of things that I'd done indirectly due to the probably side effects of you know the lethargic not listening and just not following up stuff and so 
unfortunately left that job and got this great job and then it snuck back in again. And I was like, I can't believe this is back. And I've got the best job I've ever had. You know, family's good, life is good, health is good, and here it is again. And so... Um, was it like a voice in your head that tells you that you need to do it or that life would be better if you did it? Like how does it sneak back yeah, in? Yeah, that's a good point. For people who might be listening who are being like, yes, this is my life. Yeah. I Ah, help yeah. me, Sam. How did you get out? Like yeah. what is it? So how did I get out? No, what oh, is, is it? Is it a voice? Because right. I know that you're going to get to that point eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hopefully you're out of it. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but not to give away too much. But how, was it a voice? Was it a feeling? Like yeah. what was it? I think it was a feeling. And it could have probably been a feeling because uh, I still had mates in that game and I liked going and seeing them and I just liked the feeling that it gave me. Um, you got adult viewers on this or kids or adults? Yeah, right? kids. All sorts. Everybody. Okay. So there's this crazy stat and I, I – I don't tell it a lot, but I just want people to understand it, is sex releases about 400 endorphins in the in the brain and the body, right? Mm-hmm. It feels good, yep. Cocaine, about 700. Wow. And then smoking methamphetamine, 1,300. Mm-hmm. So it's triple, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The problem is the more you do it, the less, the less, and then your body stops producing the endorphins, so you got to have more and more, mm. but it has less effect. Mm. So it's like, oh, yeah. And so what would happen is I'd go without, and then I'd hit it, I'd feel great. And then I'd get really productive. This was the difference. You see, from when I was young, I used to smoke and then get productive. Same thing happened. When I used to rap, we used to do it, and we'd write the best songs, hours and hours. So in my mind, there was a link between that and productivity, between that and creativity. Mm. So perhaps there was this voice saying, Oh, you're not good enough without it. Mm-hmm. And so thinking back, there's a great question. Never really thought about it. Was that a voice? Maybe it was. It was like I get to this point and then self-sabotage. It was like, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, but, oh, now I feel good, yeah. But it was actually causing more hurt and more pain. And um, Well, there's something to think about when you, when you finish the interview. Then. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. yeah. 100%. Anyway. And this so, is Life yeah, Birth. We'll yeah. be back yeah. with more of the story straight after this. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects 1 in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a raw cut community service announcement. This is Life Burst with Sarah and Matt. We're chatting to Sam. Sam, your life is on this cycle. It's in some ways spiraling. It sounds like it's going to take something pretty, pretty big to shake you out of this. So mm. where, where did you go from here? Uh, mate, it was spiraling. And obviously in such short segments, you know, you don't delve into everything, but just quickly, the police and me, you know, multiple, multiple uh, arrests throughout, you know, the people that's hanging around, fights, a lot of uh, licence, car, tra- traffic violations. Uh, I, Yeah, so there was all that in there as well, right? Wow. You're, I just want to take a moment. Your wife, <laughs> yeah. she's amazing. Yeah. 
I'm taught what's her name? Louise. Louise, you are amazing. Yeah. Your love for this man is yeah. is amazing. It is. I just want to really say that Thank to you. Her. Thank you. Thank <laughs> um, you. It's funny it's when I've told my story a few times at different churches, women have gone, "Yo, there's two miracles here." <laughs> <laughs> His wife is one of them. I'm like, yeah, amen to that. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So good. Um, and so, yeah, so at the time I, um, yeah, just. In and out with the cops. License disqualifications. Yeah. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you the number and it will, it will blow your mind. Like some people can't even believe it. But there were 16 license disqualifications in, you know, period of 18 years. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day I was at, I told my wife I was probably working or, somewhere but I wasn't I was at my mate's house doing the wrong thing and my father came and picked up my kids to go and buy some budgies and my wife rang me she's like babe I got this bad feeling uh you know blah blah now normally I'd say oh babe don't worry about it like pardon me but that day I was like no worries she wanted me to go with them where I was wasn't near where they were so I had to get dropped off somewhere bus to there then get them to pick me up so it was a bit of effort but for some reason I felt pushed to to say yes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, normally I wouldn't have because I was having a good time where I was. And I was like, no worries. So I got there, dropped me off, boom, my dad and, picked, and the kids picked me up and we went up to this place, bought some budgies. Um, I'm putting him in the boot, in the cage, and my son, who was like seven at the time, he's jumped in the back seat. I'm on the phone. I can't remember who to. It would be great if I could remember who it was to. But I was on the phone and he jumped in the back seat and then sat in the front. I would never let that happen. But for some reason, now I know the Holy Spirit, but at the time I had no idea, I just let him. And I sat in the back next to my daughter. And then next minute I wake up, we've had an accident. Uh, There's a four-wheel drive in my door, smashed my entire door, it's pushed the door into my ribs, I can't breathe, big four-wheel drive, bull bar, my daughter's like crying, my son's crying, I'm looking at my dad like, what the heck's happened? Mm. And he's not in a great state. They've had divorce, so he was, you know. And uh, I was just like, what the? But I couldn't breathe. I remember, that's the last thing I remember, ambulance coming in to get me out. I didn't know how they got me out. Sat me, boom, went back to hospital. Now, the crazy thing about that was that was my grandmother had died in 2010, about two months after my grandfather. And it was a very hard time for me. Um, they were like my parents. That was her birthday on that day. So guardian angels, if you don't believe in them, I'm telling you right now, there was one right there on that day. She saved my son's life because if he was in the back seat, he would not be with us today. There's no way. But I took the brunt of the accident. No one else was really injured. And so I was in hospital for two weeks and just thinking, my wife said, you know, if this doesn't change you, I don't know what's going to. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, and then got out and got back on it got back on it and it was helping me deal with stuff I guess I don't know and I was off work for like six seven weeks and then I got back into work and it just was never the same you know Christmas holidays boom and then we went away um, on a trip for work and I took my family with me cheap accommodation this that and then I brought it with me on the trip and we got in a bit of an argument and it wasn't a great trip like it wasn't the trip that I planned and when we came back, I think the day we got back, we put the kids, boom, police knock on the door and they're taking me to the station for some licensed stuff. And I thought, what the heck are you doing, bro? Like, really? Still? And so 
she, oh, yeah, when I came back, I thought, I've got to make a change. And Louise took it to God. She'd never taken it to God. She'd always gone to people to help me. But that day she prayed, she said, God, I've never brought it to you. I'm bringing Sam to you. Help me. Show me. And he gave her this idea to find somebody that I could connect with. So she started looking up ex-gangsters turned Christian. And she found this guy, shout out, Tony Hong in New South Wales. He was a Vietnamese gangster turned pastor. Not even a Christian, turned a pastor. And he had this program called Chasing the Dragon, which was helping people get off the drugs. <laughs> and I got home from work this day, and I was clean at this time about two weeks. Um, and she said, you're going to Sydney. I've talked to the guy. He's expecting you. All right. My cousin lived in Sydney. My cousin was like a spiritual best friend. He was a Muslim. He changed his life. And we were always on the phone, hours, you know. And I was trying to be a good Muslim like throughout this whole time. Trying to connect to Allah, I was trying, but through my works, right? And I went there, and my cousin was like, "Why are you doing going to see a Christian guy?" You know, and I said, "Bro, he's going to help me get off the the drugs, and actually going to strengthen my faith." Nowhere did I ever think I was choosing I was going to become a Christian. That was not in my books on my radar at all. Rocked up to this church, about 150 people. Uh, I I came there. He's nice in a suit. You could see some tats hanging out. But it's good, nice guy. Hey, mate, we'll. And I sat at the front of the church. Now, nobody ever sits in the front except for the band, and you know why. Like, I sat right in the front. He starts praying and talking about, you know, drugs in the community and not really what I thought I was going to talk about. I was like, oh, cool, all right. They start praying, so I bow my head respectfully. Like, yeah. And then I said this. I said, who here wants to be helped? Raise your hand. I thought, oh, that must, that must be for me. Is that my? Okay. So I put my hand up. Guy comes over, taps me on the shoulder. He's like, hey, man, come to the front. I said, what for? He said, oh, we're going to help you. I said, can't you help me right here, man? I don't want to get up in front of all these people. Just He goes, no, no, come to the front. I was like, fire out. Respectfully, I go to the front. Mm-hmm. Three people come next to me, big Samoan and two young girls. And I could tell they were all on the same journey as me, but I just presented it much better. By looking at them, you saw they were in the darkness that I was, but you couldn't tell on me. Right? Mm. At that time, I was also two weeks clean. I hadn't touched that for two weeks. And uh, and then they start praying in tongues. And I'm like, whoa. And this feeling came over me. It's like, it's just, whoa. like I'm getting goosebumps telling you right now. And he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, Sam, Jesus forgives you. And I just started crying uncontrollably. Now, I'm a crier. Don't get me wrong. But never like that. Like, just like. Like, I could have filled a bucket. It was just like, and I was trying to control it, like, try and be a man, you know, like, and he was like, it's all right. Like, look at that. <laughs> um, and uh, he went to the guy next to me, and the guy next to me, big dude, man, just broke down. And we looked at each other, and I just did what came naturally. I hugged him, and we started crying together. It was beautiful, right? <laughs> and then, anyway, as soon as sort of finished, we sat down. Everyone's trying to look at me like, oh. Good on you. And I'm like trying to not get eye contact. I'm like, what the heck's going on here? And these guys came up in the end. Oh, man, that was great. The Holy Spirit. I said, whoa, whoa, I'm a Muslim. And they're like, all right, man, no worries. But I'm just letting you know that doesn't happen to everybody. Okay, no worries. So we went out for lunch. And as we're going out for lunch, he went straight in. It was an awkward silence for about two minutes. But then he went straight in. Sam, this is why this is wrong. This is why this is wrong. The Christian business. And he started telling me the Christian message. Just start preaching straight away. My head, I'm like, man, this guy's got some... Some uh, kahunas. He's just telling me what's wrong with my religion straight away. So in my head, I start praying. I said, God, 
you better show me a sign right now what this man is saying is true because I'm getting, my ego, my, you know, my flesh is getting angry. And I literally finished praying it in my head and I looked at him and I look up, we come over a hill, I'll never forget it. In the distance, there's three buildings. And on one building, massive white writing, Jesus. <laughs> what even? <laughs> uh, I, and I went, that doesn't count. <laughs> so I reject it. I'm like, what the heck? And I said, I think it, he set me up. He brought me this way. What? Uh, right? <laughs> then we go, we have lunch, and we meet these other guys, and they've all got off the drugs all through Jesus. I met a, a Buddhist, an African Muslim, all these other guys. And I was like, whatever, man. Like, that's cool. That's great. Good on you. I'm going to do it through Islam. Like, let's, you know, no worries. We left. And he was cool. Like, he wasn't trying to force anything. No worries. I rang my wife, told her what happened. She was like, oh, my gosh, buzzing out. I rang another mate of mine who used to party with me and was born again, who actually, and I forgot to tell you, I sent my kids to a Christian school by this time because I just thought I liked the values, the morals, right? And they used to say to me, Dad, what your religion? I said, we're the same, same God, blah, 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 right? I used to go there, take them to church a couple of times. My mate would have his hands up. And I'd be looking at him like, what is this guy doing? I rang him and I said, bro, this is what happened. He said, mate, it's the Holy Spirit, man. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. I told my cousin when he came pick me up what happened. And he was literally like, what? And we started watching all these beautiful videos of people coming to Islam. And it was beautiful. Like I was like, wow. But somewhere in my heart was still like, Jesus. And I couldn't shake it. I came back to Adelaide. I went to this. I was now I'm running sessions for schools, right? And I'm at the school, predominantly Muslim. English as a second language. And I finish and I'm packing up. It's a big room and something draws my attention to the corner of the room. It's like 14 metres away. Like it's not close. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, what is that? And I just Yay, go, Stop being. Yes. I love this. We'll be back with more <laughs> life straight after this. What's in the corner? <laughs> Raw Cut is also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle Raw Cut AU. Sam. It was Jesus on a card. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Like 14 metres across the yes. room, you could see a card I, I that had Jesus on it. I don't know what drew me to it. What? I have no idea. And I'm talking a card like this big, like a card. Wow. You know how they give it like funerals and that? It was yeah. like that. And it was Jesus. And I was like, what the heck? Out of everything you could have seen in the room, I was expecting to be something much bigger. So I, I had know. my arms up. It was no. like shiny. Okay. And I was like, that's strange. And one, then we went to um, Kurong Bookshop to get my daughter a book because she's an avid reader. And I just didn't like the selection of books that they were, she was reading. And I was like, let's go there. I went there. Kids went in. I left my wallet in the car, came back, grabbed my wallet, came back in, looked, and there's a, a, a I don't know if you've been in the Kurong, but there's a table and it has like a book of the week displayed on there. Kurong is a Christian bookstore. It is, yes. Yeah. And the book of the week was Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Right. And I was just like, Oh, my gosh. And so obviously I bought it. Now I've rejected God two or three times. And now I'm like, okay. So I pick up this book, and this book is about a journey of a guy way more Muslim than me trying to disprove Christianity, and he's such a, a great writer. And the Bill Karishi, he's no longer with us. Rest in peace, brother. Um, and it just, wow. I was just like, oh, my gosh. And I was going on this journey with him, and he was opening up to what my life was. And about a week later... The pastor from Sydney rang me and said, hey, Sam, how's everything going? What's going on? I said, man, you don't believe this. And I told him the story and I'm reading the book and it's crazy. And he's like, great, man, I'm coming to plant a church 
part of Potter's house at Woodville on Friday if you want to come. Mm. I said, all right. And I went there and that night I cried again. I gave my life to Christ that night. I just knew in front of my family, came home. I prayed. I said, Lord, if this is who you are, Jesus, if you are the son and you are who you say you are, then you better take this from me right now. I don't want to take it like an alcoholic who's not drinking. I want it like it was never a part of my life, only the memories and the, the lessons. You know, I don't want to have to be like, oh, it's through my strength. And I felt this purple cloud is how I explain it, being lifted from me. Like, and I was like, look, goosebumps. I was like, whoa. And I laid in bed. I said, babe, I'm clean, man. And she was like, yeah, yeah, because she'd heard it a hundred times. <laughs> yeah. And every day, every day, I'd come home from work, every day, every day, every day, every day, she was just like, my gosh, it's actually true. I said, I told you. It was gone, not through my strength, through his. Mm. I handed it all over to him. Life was perfect after then. <laughs> no, no, it was not. <laughs> I faced, I got hit and run by a car on a push bike. Uh, I lost my license again because of stuff that happened before. And I lost my job, which was great. I loved that job. And then I lost my best friend to suicide. And all these things hit me in about six months of being a Christian. And I was like, God, what? what what's happening? What, are you serious? The old me would have gone to my old vices, would have gone to the weed first, would have gone to the alcohol, would have gone to the drugs. The new me went to prayer, went to the word, went to exercise. That were my new vices. Prayer, the word, exercise. And I'd be in the word. I'd be riding my bike and I'd have the Bible app. You know, shout out to you, Bible app. The guy reading the Bible in my ear and I'd get to places and laugh at myself like, what are you listening to? <laughs> and I had the spiritual mentor I met, I went and met with uh, and I'd have breakfast with and one day I heard God tell me, I was riding my bike, about to ride my bike and I heard God audibly first time, catch the bus. I was like, what? And it wasn't my voice, it wasn't my thought, it was external, internal, catch the bus. And I was like, Okay, I put my bike down, went and caught the bus, got to Norwood, eating breakfast, finished. Now, the night before, I was praying about heaven and hell. I was like, you know, Lord, yeah, heaven, hell, like, you know, I love what you've done in my life, but, you know, is it? And finished breakfast, I bus stops across the road, and I just heard the voice again, walk. No worries, this time I didn't question it because I already heard it. Mm -hmm. So I started walking up the parade. Boom, felt him lead me to the next bus stop. Sat at the next bus stop. Within 30 seconds, I kid you not, this dude on permanent crutches, my age, about 30, mid-30s, dark brother, brown brother, and uh, he sat next to me. I said, oh, man, sorry to hear. Like, what's happened? He's like, oh, that's okay, mate, you know. Uh, I got hit, and, hit by a car, hit and run. I didn't realise it was when he was like 12 and he was left for dead. And he's been like, um, not paraplegic, but permanently disabled mm -hmm. since. I said, man, I'm so sorry to hear that, you know. And he said, that's okay, brother, because it's real. I was like, what did he say? Uh, I, sorry, man, what, what did you say? He said, it's real. I said, what's real, man? He said, heaven. God showed me heaven and it's real. Wow. And I was like, what the heck? Are you talking about? <laughs> Why would you just tell me that randomly? I asked nothing about it. Mm. So we start talking. He starts telling me his life and I'm like, oh, my gosh, bro. I need to get baptised and I was at Edge Church at the time. Shout out to Edge Church. I said, guys, I need to get baptised. Like, you know, I didn't go out and tell everybody, hey, everybody, I'm a Christian. I was just slowly, the closest people to me knew and they saw the fruit. 
And I said, I'm going to get baptized. I said, like, just wait, just come and have a look at the baptism and then, you know, see what you think and then get baptized in, in around June. I said, no worries. Now, June has a crazy part in my life. It was like all these months in June, which we can't get into today, but it was just, and, and God knows I love big science. Like, that's how he's made me, okay? June comes, I get cold feet. I go, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm getting baptized. No, oh, God, you need to show me a sign right now. And God never shows you signs when you need to. He shows you when he wants to. And that week, Friday night, the fourth baptism, coming home, bumper to bumper traffic, a car pulls out in front of me. And on the whole back window, Mark 16, 16, for he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Wow. That's incredible. Since then, I got baptized. Now I'm a youth leader up in the hills. I've run my own business, running workshops for schools, high schools all across the state. You probably have a photo up there somewhere. Yep. So that's me and my pastor, Dave Shepherd at Hills Baptist, and we're there at Concordia. And my wife was right all of those years ago, prophesying that you are not a Muslim, you are a youth leader. Wow. And here we are, you know, 20 years later. It's what God's plans are. Well, thank you, Sam. That's yeah. an incredible Thank story. Yeah. Wow. A story of transformation in so many ways. It's By the way, I don't do any drugs, alcohol, or smoke. Yes, yeah. just in case you're wondering. Yeah. Well, it I, left you. It did. It left it you. It did. It did. Well, it really did. Thank you for giving us that insight into yeah. your story. We could talk for hours. Oh, I, you've got, mm-hmm. I know. I reckon I know. there's a lot of more stories there that you couldn't yeah. share. Um, but thank you for coming in today. Thank we really appreciate worries. it. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. This has been Life Burst. You can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from and on Facebook, YouTube, Community TV and Radio. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Thanks again for joining us today. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshra Ozadigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Raw Cut production.